would appeal the suspension. And you're listening to the news on RTHK. Fight the virus, stay vigilant. If you think you have a higher risk of COVID-19 exposure or experience discomfort, you can collect specimen bottles for free testing from designated public clinics. Meanwhile, the government will arrange free testing for targeted groups. To minimize the risk of community transmission, we should take the initiative to get tested. Together, we must fight the virus. Stay vigilant. Visit coronavirus.gov.hk for details. Welcome to the Common Room with Alison Howe, where you find inspiration. We're the founding members of a student-led organization aiming to raise awareness of impoverished communities around the world. Career Insight. Hi, my name is Emmy Wong, and I'm a YouTube content creator based in Hong Kong. And plenty of entertainment. Hey guys, Taylor here. All right, I'm Young Blood. Hey, this is Lady Gaga. Hey, this is Dua Hey, Hong Kong. This is Ed Sheeran, and stay tuned to Alison Howe. Come and hang out with. That's in the common room. Weeknights at 9 on RTHK Radio 3. Do you like great music from the 60s, the 70s, the 80s? Don't believe me, just watch. And right up to today. Do you like good music? We've got something for you from every era. This is James Ross with the greatest hits of music. Something for Saturday evening. Join me after the six o'clock news right here on Radio 3. and welcome to The Week on 3. I'm your host, Christy Lai. Hope you're all having a great start to the weekend. Before we start, I just want to give a shout out to all DSC exam takers. Wishing you the very best of luck and don't give up. It has definitely not been an easy process, but the finish line is really near. Very best of luck to the remaining of your exams. Okay, let's get on going and jump right into today's program. Recently, the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard court case is taking the internet by storm. Since the high-profile celebrity couple broke up back in 2019, there have been many reports about allegations on domestic abuse and more. Of course, there are ups and downs for every relationship, but the smallest details, like what they ate for dinner, where they went for a date, where they went for a honeymoon, is scrutinized by the media. Do we, the public, have the right to know? Radio 3 producer Yuki Zeng and I spoke to Sadia Usmani about whether celebrities are entitled to privacy and discuss what is the fine line. Everything about celebrities is just interesting to us because it just, feel, it just feels like that they have a life that we, we never have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or they're, and they're like, oh, they think the hottest girl in, in the town. Oh, she, he's dating this hot lady. And then he, my idol, is dating this another female star. I think everything it just sounds interesting to us, even though 
we yeah even though it's it's just they are just human but then it's just well seems yeah, different you see this is a problem i mean uh, you know i watch korean dramas right mm. and i know that the couple from crash landing got married oh, yeah. <laughs> They obviously watch them yeah, too, of and and I can't believe it because I must have just checked one thing online, and ever since then I know that I can track them. I know where they are. I know where they're eating, yeah. and I know everything because they just keep putting all this stuff keeps coming up on my Facebook and other mm -hmm. places. So I mean, like you know, when they are such big celebrities, then it's just a given that we know about their personal life mm. we know what they like to eat we know mm -hmm. what clothes they're wearing so then obviously good and bad comes mm -hmm. in there so as far as johnny depp is concerned do you think like some of this stuff should not be out there or do you think we have a right to know mm, in terms of right to know i think um we've done some research on in terms of maybe the human rights and privacy mm -hmm. and uh, according to the human rights convention uh everyone should be guaranteed to the right of privacy as as well as the right to free expression but in a sense uh let's say for the uk courts uh they are also qualified for restricted rights and also be limited to certain situations for example if a story is in the public interest a judge may rule that a celebrity's right to privacy should be limited for the greater purpose of informing the public mm -hmm. so if it's of interest to the public mm -hmm. and in yeah. a sense uh because both of us went to journalism school before mm -hmm. we discussed off air that um when it comes to certain court cases or just cases about domestic violence or abuse it tends to get a lot of attention because it involves gore or maybe it involves just it's uh, just a scandal yes nasty and yeah. people like to hear bad news don't they mm. yeah it is a bit kind of i suppose you can look at it from both sides that when it comes to things like domestic abuse mm -hmm. then maybe just like when a celebrity's profile kind of events or things that they are interested in and they raise a profile for a charity or something mm -hmm. then maybe if a celebrity is involved in something like that it gives a platform for ngos and stuff to bring that to mm -hmm. the to the mm -hmm. fore and to get the public to understand it too so but i suppose celebrities would object to too much attention because then it's embarrassing for them isn't it yeah but i feel like sometimes celebrities do have the responsibility responsibility to sort of be like the, the example of the public like for mm -hmm. example like in hong kong um we have celebrities um being the ambassador of certain charities for example mm -hmm. for operation santa claus we've got um paho chow for etc uh, et so i feel like when they are associated with a certain personality or a certain roles of the of the society they bear the responsibility to to be a good in to have a good image mm. so somehow it's sort of the it's sort of the public's right to know what if they if if their private life actually align with their public image mm -hmm. that's what i think mm. yeah. Mm. yeah speaking of that um when you talked about uh the crash landing couple uh specifically korea I think it's a different level compared to the West because in Korea, um, idols or actors, they have their life is basically 
scrutinized by the media. Because, In every respect. Yes, yeah. because K-pop or just Korean dramas are just so big now. Mm-hmm. And um, now in modern days, a lot of maybe fans feel like, oh, they actually own mm. the yeah. idol. Mm-hmm. The, the idol earns money because of fans. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, it is, it is a fact, mm-hmm. I suppose, mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, these guys, they're celebrities. They've got these fans, mm-hmm. and these fans want them to be ideal people. We just, um, Chris, because uh, Chrissy and I were both, uh, are both K-pop fans, but we just feel like um, somehow Korean culture is a bit toxic because mm, um, many of the fans, um, as, Chris, as Christy mentioned before, they feel like they own mm. the idol's life. Mm-hmm. So somehow their idols are not, are not allowed to have um, husband or wife or they are not allowed to date because their lives are their fans. The fans mm. gave them everything. Oh so they're not, they're not, they, they, they just can't do anything else other than oh, treating sure. the fans yeah. well. That was Radio 3 producer Yuki Zung and I speaking to Sadia Usmani on the 123 show. While we are on the topic of social media, Multi-millionaire entrepreneur and CEO of Tesla, Elon Musk, has acquired social media platform Twitter for 44 billion US dollars. This has made headlines on all parts of the world, as many wonder what would be next for Twitter, as Musk has aimed to make Twitter a place for free speech and sees major potential for the platform. However, many question the potential impact and how Musk might tackle issues such as pornography, hate speech, propaganda, and more. To help us know more about the underlying issues is Chris Exline, the former chairman of the Republicans Abroad, and Florence Saban, lecturer at the Hong Kong Baptist University's Department of Communication Studies. I think that's a very good question at the end of the day. Uh, Twitter has struggled in the past with making um, uh, itself uh, as a viable uh, uh, platform, right? So uh, I think only in recent years it has started to uh, to do uh, a bit better on a financial uh, side. But uh, there um, is still some uh, lagging behind. If you compare, for example, Twitter with other uh, platforms, um, uh, there is definitely a chance uh, and a, a place for it to, uh, to grow further. Uh, as of now, we should also remember that Twitter yeah, uh, forty-four billion dollars. That's a huge amount. But if you're looking at the numbers, if you're looking at the users, yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm I don't uh, um, uh, have uh, all the financial background of the company. But if I'm looking at the users, uh, Twitter has less users than uh, a platform such as Snapchat, and that's important to uh, to also keep in mind. Obviously, um, it is an attractive social media platform because it is being used by celebrities. Yeah, from uh, people who are in uh, entertainment and uh, people who are uh, in politics, right? We uh, we know a former president who was very uh, active on uh, uh, that social media platform. So um, it is still to be seen how financial viable uh, these uh, platform can be uh, can become. Uh, um, Chris Exline, good morning to you. Morning. So yeah, the point there that uh, Florin Serban makes about uh, Twitter uh, being used by senior politicians. Um, I know there's a lot of interest in this uh, in the United States, uh, which way uh, Twitter may go, uh, whether whether Mr. Musk might, um, uh, uh, you know, do away with some of the um, 
the, the measures that Twitter has for limiting what people can say. I mean, he's talked about uh, free speech being the bedrock of a functioning democracy. Uh, Twitter is the digital town square where matters vital to the future of humanity are debated. Um, a little, a little uh, bit grandiose, well, is, I think we could is, say. Is, and, and don't forget that yeah. it's important to civilization. Oh yes, civilization. I mean, you know, this is uh, this is probably one of the world's great philanthropic efforts. I mean, I think that we should all be just so thankful that Elon Musk uh, has stepped up with his own shares to buy this noble enterprise. Uh, uh, sorry, it's, mm-hmm. I think all of that is just a bunch of bluster. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> none of this is really about him trying to enrich the lives of anyone other than those people that have lent him the money and the other stakeholders that he's bringing along with it. Um, you know, and if you, I mean, you know. As far as the influence goes, I think it's somewhat fanciful. To th- if you look at the top 50 people of uh, followers on Twitter, only one, Narendra Modi, uh, number 19 or number nine with 78.1 million followers, is a world leader. Um, I don't think that you know the world will come to an end or stop if we don't receive some form of inspirational updates from uh, Justin Bieber, Kevin Hart, or Ella DeGeneres. Isn't this up there, though, with that kind of, it's not new, trend for business moguls to suddenly want to acquire media empires? I mean, Jeff Bezos has bought the Washington Post. We see this over and over again. When they get rich, they want to buy newspapers or TV stations. Well, I, I think this is in a different league than, than spending $250 million on the Washington Post. A $44 billion takeover um, is a massive undertaking. And what I will give him credit for, I mean, he's uh, investing one-third of his shares in Tesla, tying them up as collateral for these loans. And Morgan Stanley came up with the syndicate or the, came up with uh, all the money to do an all-cash offer over a weekend. Um, now, sometimes I get these phone calls from people wanting to ask if I need money, and I did think maybe I could buy Twitter, and I asked if I could get $44 billion and uh, did not get a favorable reply. So, no, it's, it's a serious thing. I mean, the, and what, what Dr. Florin said, um, it's all about modulating the user base. You've got to increase the, the, the number of users significantly, which loosening the content restrictions will do. Um, and what this does is this actually will add and create higher barriers to entry to competitors and cement its situational dominance with all of these things, whether it's Trump's or whether it's Parler. And now what is I find fascinating and what Elon Musk has done very well is he's now made Twitter the talk of the conversation. He's now made it um, relevant, and he has sucked all the oxygen out of Trump's venture and everything else, and people are going to be paying attention to it. But as, and, as somebody said this morning, that it creates an unstable hellscape for objectionable content. It oh, it really does. does. It does not. I, 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 there, you've got to understand, in my opinion, that there's a definite difference between freedom and forums. Okay? This is a forum. This is a public company, not a public utility. When I was a young kid and I was going to go get my uh, driver's license and um, living in Chicago, the first question on the exam is driving in the state of Illinois is A, a right, or B, a privilege. These Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter, those, those aren't anybody's rights. These are companies controlled by executives and boards and shareholders, and they can make decisions on how they want to best uh, monitor their experience or create their content. 
And if you look at all of the people that have now come out, you've got this you know, partisan parade of protectionism that wants to tax the rich and bring back Donald Trump, replay the 2020 election. And all of that's just a bunch of bluster. So why has he bought it? Oh, I tell you, I think it, it follow the money. Uh, I'm not being flippant, but I think he's bought it because if he can increase the user base, if he increases the user base from 200 to 300 to 400 million, then the revenues go up. He's going. The only algorithm that matters is the one where they loosen the content and how that uh, affects or has deleterious consequences for its revenue. Then, uh, because he's got so much of his shares uh, floated or uh, locked up, I think he'll float Twitter in three, three, four years. Chris Line and Florence Urban on Wednesday's Back Chat. On Monday's Morning Brew, Phil Whelan spoke to wonderful and talented artist Lucy Paris, who recently drew for the book The Hong Kong I Knew by Mark Isaac Williams, where she brilliantly showcased Hong Kong in the 1940s. She shared with Phil how she got around to illustrating for the book and also some special techniques she uses when drawing. Maybe you'll learn a thing or two. Mark was actually a friend of an artist that, that I had exhibited with in Hong Kong before. Right. And, um, and she kind of put me in touch with him because she knew that my style would probably suit the sort of thing that he was looking for. He wanted a very sort of clear, clear sort of illustrative style yeah. and somebody who really enjoyed drawing people and, and local scenes. And that sort of was me, really. Yes. So Mark, Mark approached me and... Um, and we chatted about his experiences in Hong Kong, and he had a he has a lovely collection of um, of books of historic photos of Hong Kong, and using those and some sort of uh, sources on the internet, I was able to sort of put together these historic scenes. The other thing is that we all view the past in our heads in a, in very different ways. I mean, was he happy with how you'd portrayed him? His, his memory, yes, you know. I think he was actually, yeah. I think it, because quite often we were able, because we had chatted about it quite a lot, we, we got a lot of the scenes really spot on exactly how he remembered it. He was very happy. Mm. I mean, it's is it, is it because of the medium you used? I mean, we're talking pen and ink, bit of watercolour here. Would it have been a different vibe, do you think, if you, because I know you do different styles, so you came down yeah. on this idea particularly to take us back. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, mainly I work in uh, lino, lino cut, actually, a very, very different um, style of, of working, but I always start with drawing, and um, and even now, I actually belong to the Hong Kong Urban Sketches, yeah. and um, they go out drawing scenes all around Hong Kong, um, and those, in fact, they have a small exhibition down in, in uh, Wan Chai at the moment of some of their drawings. Whereabouts? Um, Do you remember? In Yangqi Plaza, it's the big building on the corner um, of Hennessy Road and um, by by the corner of Wan Chai Market. Okay. Um, there's, a, there's a small exhibition in the lobby there. I like the way that... So, so this is pretty subtle. I mean, it's detailed and subtle, but still impressionistic. But then if I go to your, mm. if I go to your website, which is LucyParisArt, one word, dot com, and I get to see some of your linos there, they are bold and bang. I love that too. Quite the contrast. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I, I have always drawn. I've always loved drawing street scenes. And um, I will be putting some of my urban sketches onto my website soon as well. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I love translating those drawings into something really striking and really simple. Well, I mean, on the top row I'm looking on your website, there's the green and white and grey tram. And I think if anybody's a fan of transport in Hong Kong, they are going to totally dig these. Can you tell us how you do those? We'll come back to, we'll come back to the book in a second. Yeah. Tell us how um, you do well, the linos. They, they are what's called a reduction lino print method. Mm. So I start off with one, one piece of lino and I cut into it. It's very similar to woodcut or wood engraving. This isn't kitchen floor lino, is it? It's artistic stuff. It, it is artist's lino these days, but it is still made from a mixture of um, plaster of Paris and linseed oil, which is what original floor lino was made from. Oh. And in fact, the artists started using lino after the war when things like wood were a much more precious commodity. Right. And they started experimenting with the new materials that had come in due to the war. So lino sort of became popular with artists as a cheap uh, medium to work in. Mm. It's very easy to cut. You cut it with a tool similar to a woodcut tool. Mm. Um, and you cut away your first, your first layer, and I print my first colour, which is usually my palest colour. And then I cut away again and I print the next colour. Keep cutting, keep printing different colours. And it's sometimes called the suicide method or the lost, lost method because as you cut, the lino disappears. So you can only make a very limited edition. So you'll, you'll see on my website all my prints are very limited editions because um, you can only make, make one edition. Then the, because the lino's it, gone. It degrades, or it, it the, the amount of because uh, you've cut it away. You've cut it away each oh, time. Okay. So oh, I see. You cut more and more away, so you actually end up with almost no lino left at all when you've printed your final colour. Incredible. Well, let's get back to Mark's book. I've just I've just put with my spare hand. I've just put a link on our Morning Proof Facebook page to Lucy's website, and that's what I'm looking at right now. It's brilliant. Also, on that there is quite the opposite. You you've you've gone totally watercolour as well. That's my urban sketching. So those were specifically done actually for a, there's a, there will be an exhibition of Hong Kong urban sketches at the Hong Kong Book Fair in July. Okay. And um, the, uh, so I've submitted uh, three of those, those paintings to be uh, selected for exhibition at that, uh, at that show. Mm. Um, so so yeah, I do tend to work. My my watercolors always inform my lino prints. My lino prints kind of come at the end of that process. My drawing, my watercolors, then my lino cuts. Do some of them just stay as watercolor? You think this is what this needs to be? Yeah, yeah. Quite often they they'll just stay as watercolor, and I'll just enjoy it for what it is. I like them as sketches, just as they are. Yeah, I mean, I I believe it's very hard when you're creating something to be able to stand back and say yeah it's finished it, it could be sound it could be art it could be music whatever but that final bit where the creator says no hands off it's done is that tough for you oh totally oh completely in fact i i have loads of pieces of lino that got a tiny bit of lino left on them <laughs> where i think mm, does it need one more color no. shall i throw it i can't ever bear to throw it away <laughs> Artist and illustrator Lucy Paris on Monday's Morning Brew. To end today's program, I'll leave you with Steve James. And this time for his dumb survey, the question for the week is, 
Why are you still single? Well, one can possibly answer this question without sobbing silently in the back. But oh well. I'm sure you'll have something more cheerful than that. I'll see you next week. Same time here on The Week on 3. I'm Christy Lai. RTHK Radio 3. This is the incredible story of the men who made radio. Steve James. Oh my God, this is coming through the air. Okay, last time on the afternoon drive where we left off, I was asking you for um, what's the best response? It got quite vicious, actually. Uh, what's the best response to why are you still single? Best response is to, why are you still single? You posted supply chain issues. <laughs> Just lucky, I guess. Why are you still single? Better alone than in bad company. The voices in my head get jealous very easily. And also because there are too many people like you. Why are you still single? I have the social skills of a spoon. Thank you very much for joining in with that. Now, today's lame survey of the day on Facebook, Steve on Radio 3. In fact, you can scroll through if you're on Facebook, should you I'd be seriously bored. Um, you can look through uh, all our other lame surveys that people have joined in with. Some very funny, some very unairable. Uh, today, um, I'm asking signs you might be suffering from road rage. Signs you might be suffering from road rage. Uh, the story so far, they refuse to insure your vehicle because of the gun turrets. Uh, signs you might be suffering from road rage. That throbbing vein in your forehead is big enough to honk the horn on its own. You keep a seven iron in the back seat just in case. You've developed carpal tunnel syndrome in your middle finger. Welcome to Hong Kong traffic. Signs you're suffering from road rage. Uh, you've mounted your <laughs> you've mounted your windshield you've mounted your windshield wipers windscreen wipers on the inside of your car to clear the spit. And my favourite one so far: you swear more before you get to work than most rappers do all day. Signs that you're suffering from road rage. Keep those coming in. That's what I've been trying to tell you. You're entering a realm which is unusual. Maybe it's magic or contains some kind of monster. The second one. Prepare to enter the scary door. The Steve James Serious Thursday Drive. Sure, go for the gusto. Is that that time already? Let's put the brew on. Oh, the factories may be roaring. Yeah. With the boom a lack a zoom a lack a wee. A cup of tea. But there isn't any roar when the clock strikes four. Everything stops for tea. All together now. Now I know just why Franz Schubert nah. didn't finish his unfinished symphonies. <laughs> he might have written more, but the clock struck four and everything stops for tea. Tea break this afternoon, celebrating the birthday. Born 1952, Chuck. Levell, Levell, get his name right, Steve. American musician Chuck Levell, who was a member of the Ullman Brothers Band during the height of their 1970s popularity. Uh, also, longtime keyboardist and uh, musical director with the Rolling Stones. Also toured and recorded with Clapton, George Harrison, uh, Dave Gilmore, and more. Oh, John Mayer's on the list as well. Uh, so it's happy birthday to Chuck Levell.